0: Well, back at the beginning of the year when uh, preaching assignments were handed out and this series on the Ten Commandments was there, I noticed that I got the lucky seven. And then when I double-checked what I thought it was, I thought, oh, my goodness. So i kind of been sweating this thing. <laughs> I don't feel quite so lucky when I have to talk about... Thou shalt not commit adultery. In fact, last April, the last time I preached, I I preached about joyful obedience, and my sense of it was I was like tiptoeing through the tulips. Today I feel more like I'm mashing through a minefield. Because, you know, this is a very tender subject. There's a lot of brokenness here. And I want to be very careful about that on all sides. So if I misstep... Please know it's accidental and not intentional. And even though, come talk to me if I've in some way said something that has offended you or hurt you. Because that's the grace God gives us. So please do that. So let me pray. Our God and Father, you are here. And we are here to hear from you through your word. So I ask that you would do that as you've promised. And I pray that you would take me out of the way, my brokenness, and let your truth and light shine through, your words, not mine. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the beauty and intimacy of marriage is God's idea. That's why He wants to protect it. When God gave us the Ten Commandments, that was His vision of what true human flourishing is like. And if we stay within those boundaries, we will prosper. (laughs) And especially in this area, where Paul says, unlike all the other commandments, when we step outside of the boundaries God has set in this area, we sin against our own body. And so there's deeper brokenness here than in many other places. So I am sensitive to that, but hear what God has to say about it. So my sermon in a sentence is this. Those who suffer from others acting out against them and those who struggle to live within God's framework for sexual relationships can experience God's love, grace, and restoration. So let's start, first of all, by looking at God's beautiful gift of marriage. First of all, He created it. God said, so God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That's God's image of man and woman. One man, one woman together. In fact, God so much wanted to do this that he was very careful about how he set up Adam, kind of like Adam's wingman, all right? Because what happened in chapter 2 is this scenario. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. you know, thousands and thousands of animals go before him. I don't know how long that took, months, maybe even years. And the question every time was, is this fit for me? Duck, no. Cow, no. Aardvark, no. When am I ever going to have someone who's like me? And this is what God did. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Do you hear those words? This at last. After all that time, here she is. She's beautiful. She's just like me. We're bone of bones and flesh of flesh. We are one. We are family. You know, when we talk about family relationships in our culture, we say blood relatives. But back in the ancient days, that's how you spoke about blood relatives. Bone of bones and flesh of flesh. So I don't know how long. Can you imagine that? Wow! Here she is. God blessed him with that. So let's talk about. You know. Well, first of all, back up a little bit. That didn't last real long, did it? No. Adam and Eve ate of the tree, uh, the forbidden fruit, and they were expelled from the garden. So now let's talk about the beauties and the pitfalls of sex. Beauty is this. God actually commanded marital enjoyment. In Proverbs 5, Solomon is speaking to his son about this issue. And this is a a message from a father to a son, so it's put in male terms. But it is for the pitfalls and the blessings are both for either gender. But it just comes in the voice Of a male, so just be aware of that, and know that as women, you're not excluded from this. So this is what he says: Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let your let them be for yourself alone, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. And rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. This passage is full of suggestive language, but I just want to focus on the last phrase. Be always intoxicated. So this is a part of a series of commands that God says to married people, enjoy this, rejoice in it, revel in it. When it says always be intoxicated, the actual Hebrew meaning is be led astray by. So in the context, he's talking about this beautiful interaction is so captivating that you can be taken away by it. And God blesses that. But it also, not just the physical act, but the internal act. It says be intoxicated. That's a a state of mind and heart and being, as well as the external. So he is saying this is a place where you can be real. You can be open. You can be full of life. You can share love. You can experience the, the closeness that God wanted for a man and a woman. That's what he's saying. So that is why exactly God protects the marriage bed. When he says you shall not commit adultery, he sets the outside parameters. And other passages say this, though, because of this intoxicated, that he protects that because the internal is so beautiful, so sacred, so lovely. So that's what he wants to talk about. And Jesus echoes that in Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 through 28 he says this You have heard that it was said You shall not commit adultery But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart Jesus gave that admonition because he wanted us to experience the relational beauty of marital sex but he also knew how sharply easy it was to stray from that martin luther talking about temptations in general not just this area says this temptations of course cannot be avoided but because we cannot prevent the birds from flying over our heads there is no need that we should let them nest in our hair <laughs> so <laughs> So thoughts come in, thoughts come out. You know what happens to what I do when a, an unwanted thought comes into my head? I practice a form of the Jesus prayer. I do this. Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. Those who study these things say that it's a takes about, that this kind of temptation takes about seven seconds It only lasts seven seconds unless you indulge it. So, for me, that time is what sets it aside. Instead of having to white-knuckle and say, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, I don't want to think this, I don't want to think this, it gives me an opportunity to surrender to God and to look forward to how I can connect with Him in that moment. It's... A surrender instead of a fight. A surrender to Him. And a walking in His light. So, there are pitfalls. And this scripture that we've been talking about warns us of them. They're everywhere, especially in our hearts. I learned very early about this. I was dating a girl in high school. And when I turned 16, I took her for a ride in my Parents, Plymouth, (laughs) station wagon. I was really styling. you see that? Yeah. (laughs) So we were driving around, and we just happened to end up in a park when it was dark. And so we kissed, and that was all we intended to do. But then, as we were engaging that way, there was a car that pulled up behind us. And feeling awkward, I kind of just put it in gear and, you know, went several feet ahead and stopped again. And so, we continued. And then, all of a sudden, three cars, high beams blaring came at us, one from the back, one from the front, and one from the driver's side. (laughs) Lights everywhere. And then, a policeman got out of his car. And he shone his flashlight in through the windshield at us, knocked on the the, uh, window and Said, wind it down. And that was one of those cars where you actually did. You wind it, you wound it down. And he said, uh, we, We've heard a report of a burglary in this area and thought maybe you were that guy or gal. <laughs> he said, then he said, Did you know the park closes at dark? Uh, yes, sir. Then maybe you should go home. Yes, sir. <laughs> so we did. So here's the thing it's, intentions are one thing. And intentions were good. Ours were good, but it's so easy to pull out of that. God gave me this warning in very stark ways, saying, eh. <laughs> "You need to put more controls there." So that's how he works. And this is what Paul is talking, or not Paul, but uh, Solomon is talking about here in Proverbs chapter five, verses twenty to 30- twenty-three. And I'll back up just to verses eighteen and nineteen, so you can see the context. Rejoice. In the wife of your youth, be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast. In the cords of his sin, he dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So, you see this in verse 19, he, he says, Get intoxicated with marital love. But in verse 20, he uses that same word where it's good to be carried away in one area, to be carried away outside of the marital bond is destruction, it's ensnaring. It's a trap. And he's saying, don't go there. Don't go there. Because sex is so beautiful and intoxicating, practicing outside of God's design for human flourishing is destructive. Dr. Julie Slattery, in her book Rethinking Sexuality, says this Sexual brokenness is not simply the presence of symptoms. It is anything that keeps us from experiencing sexuality as the gift and metaphor of covenant love. So, statistics paint a pretty dark picture. Never before in the history of telecommunications media in the United States has so much indecent and obscene material been so easily accessible by so many minors in so many American homes with so few restrictions. That's the US Department of Justice. Now, statistics on pornography use are very wide. There's some, are, And so they're hard to know exactly what is there. These are the most conservative ones that I could find and, and been endorsed by others um, that I know. And it's this. Four of 10 Christian men aged 13 to 24 view, view porn monthly. 13% of women in the same age also use porn regularly. The average age at which a child first views porn online is 11. That creates a lot of suffering. In fact, um, EdSmart, a uh, educational website, says this: 56 percent of divorce cases involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. One in four women and one in six men will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. One in six women and one in 33 men will experience attempted or completed rape in their lifetime. In eight out of 10 rape cases, the victim knows the perpetrator. One in every seven victims of sexual assault is under the age of six. One in four victims of sexual assault under the age of 12 is a boy. Damage and traps are everywhere in our culture, in the streets, in the media, in our homes, because of the accessibility of the internet and also in our hearts. But there is hope. Redemption and renewal are possible. And I want to look first at the hope and restoration that's available for those who have suffered from sexual misconduct. This is what Isaiah says in chapter 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold. My chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. And he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And the smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. His campaign of justice will cover everything. So this is Jesus' mission. In Matthew chapter 12, this passage is quoted describing Jesus' ministry. So I want to bring two things out of that. First is justice. He brings justice to those who have suffered wrong. Perhaps we can't do that here and now always because of the limitations of our system and its brokenness under reporting on all those things, but Jesus will Bring justice to everyone. He says, he in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter until all justice is settled on the earth. In the last days, in Revelation chapter 20, at the great throne of judgment, it says, each person was judged according to what they had done. His justice will prevail. And those who have been unjustly used, that I think is good news. Hang on to that. You will receive the justice that you long for. The second thing he says, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. When I was a Boy Scout, we learned to start fires with a a rock, a flint, and a steel file. So you would just make a few sparks, and when a little spark hit the tinder that you had there, you had to be very careful. If you blew too hard, the spark would go out and you have to start again. But if you would just barely almost, just a bare breath, and as that spark begins to expand, then you blow a little harder. And as you see a little flame, you blow a little harder. And then it begins to really get bigger. You put more sticks on it, and suddenly you have a blazing fire. That's what God does for those who have been injured. In this way or in any other way, he knows how tender we are. It says he doesn't break off a bruised reed. If it's hanging down, he'll straighten it out. He will blow on you if you are broken like this. With the gentleness of his breath with the light and life of his love, with the grace that comes from his sacrifice. He blows that all into the heart of one who is broken, and they come back to life. Jesus brings justice, understanding, and nurturing, and healing necessary for restoration. So then on the other side of the the paradigm, he also has something to say for those who struggle with sin. In 1 Corinthians 9, 6, 9-11, to 11, he says this, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. When you hear this, for most of us, sexual sins pop right up on the front of our mind when we hear that. But there are other things like theft and greed and speaking evil of another. You may not fit the descriptions of sexual immorality. But all of us are wrongdoers. All of us are wrongdoers. What about greed? Have you ever wanted something so much you're discontent with where you are? Or what about slander? Have you ever shared something that could hurt someone else's reputation? Have you ever done anything wrong like lying or cheating on a test or the taxes? We're all wrongdoers. Now here's the good news. And that is what some of you were. So wait a minute. He just said, anyone who does all these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and that's not you. How does that happen? Because the change is so radical that the things that identified who you were before are gone. You have a whole new identity. So... What happened? Listen. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is for the description of everything that was said above. You were washed, sanctified, justified. So what happened? Jesus happened. That's what happened. Jesus happened in that moment. And here's how he did it. First, he washed us by cleansing of blood of our sins. He washed us clean. He sanctified us. He set us apart for good, for the things that God wants for us, for a life that is whole and wholesome and lovely and delightful to live. That's what he set us aside for. He justified us in Jesus' name. That means he made us right before God. He paid the penalty we owed, death, which is what Proverbs 5 talked about would be the result of those who stray. He paid that penalty. There is nothing more you need to do to satisfy God's justice for you. And then it says that this happened also by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit will breathe into the heart of everyone who turns to Him. In fact, actually, it's the Holy Spirit who causes you to turn. (laughs) Does He not? Okay, I'm going to share this. Um, Jack Miller had a famous story about uh, Jesus saying, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice opens the door and comes in, I will come in and sup with him. And somebody says there's a painting of that and Jesus is on the outside of the door, and there's no handle? Well, Jack Miller says this. What you don't see is that in the back under the basement, there was a window open, and the Holy Spirit comes in and sets a fire. So, while you're piling all the furniture up against that door to keep Jesus out, there's a fire coming up underneath. And so, all of a sudden, it gets so hot and uncomfortable there that you pull away all those things, and you say, Oh, Jesus, thank you. That's how He draws us to himself. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Because of that you can choose God and a wholesome way of life because he's working in you that way. You can learn that there is plenty of goodness and grace for those who do wrong to cover your wrongdoing no matter what that is. Oh glorious day when Jesus washed our sins away. I have a question for you. How did these folks in the Corinthian church find out that God's grace was great enough for them? Big enough to heal the hurts that they suffered and cover their struggles. How did they begin to know that? They talked about it. They just talked about it. They turned to a Christ follower that they trusted to share their hurts, to share their secrets, to tell her what, what was going on with each one of them. And that is the place at which they learned of the redeeming, renewing, rest, restoring grace of Jesus Christ. I know couples who faced a husband's porn addiction. And they reached out. Through counseling, through prayer, support groups, they saw their marriages restored. The pain was sometimes excruciating beyond what we can even imagine, unless you've been through that. But now those relationships are richer and stronger. I know a woman who experienced sexual abuse in her marriage and the multiple betrayals of the affairs from her husband's of husband's affairs, that relationship ended. She cried out to God. She sought the support of family and friends and counselors. God has given her faith, strength, resilience, and eventually, after some time, even love for the man who so used her. I know a man whose wife stepped out of, sight, out of sight of marriage. She immediately confessed. They sought the help from the church, engaged in counseling, had the love and support of family. Their relationship not only survived, but it thrived. You see, the Corinthians started a conversation about those hard things in their lives. Because when you keep them in, secrets can kill. They kill. I know that because my brother committed suicide when he had a secret. He was gambling, future trading on the stock market and lost his whole family's fortune, $250,000 in debt. And he couldn't take it anymore. He was trapped, just like Proverbs says. He was ensnared. He couldn't get out. But when you come in, first thing I thought was, Paul talk to me why didn't you talk to me why didn't you say something he would have if he would have only would have so this is the time to talk this is the time to share your brokenness this is the time to come forward because there is grace more than sufficient so here's what we want to do we want to give you an opportunity to talk we have Peggy Dimitri's email up there. She's our women's ministry director, and they have my email. So if you want, in confidentiality, to have someone to talk to, email us. We'll give you a quick call, and then we will refer you to one of four men and four women who have stepped forward and say they would be willing to be the first place you can talk, and then we'll see how else God can work with you. So take that step if you're broken. Take that. And no. And such were some of you, but no longer. God's grace and powers of restoration know no bounds. Let's pray. Our God and Father, thank you for the grace that is available to us who are broken. Thank you for the hope that you have through Jesus Christ. And I pray that by your spirit, you would move in each heart today, here, now. So that we can hear your voice, so that we can enjoy your grace And so that we can receive the life that you give us through Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen.